You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning, Real Life. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. So great to have the honor and privilege to be with you guys again today and share with you what God has been putting on my heart the last week. If you don't know who I am, my name is Adam McKeldry. I have the great privilege of serving God's kingdom here as one of the pastors on staff. Um, I know this last week was probably fantastic for some of you as you got the snow that you've been hoping for because you think it's all pretty and stuff. And then the rest of us that actually shovel it and plow it all day are counting the days till May when hopefully it'll stop by then. But it's been a while since we've had a a snowy December and um, it kind of reminded me of a snowy December when I was a kid. I remember I was about 16 years old, and I lived in western Montana in a small town, and I went to a a Christian high school that was an hour away. And I also played basketball. So Christmas break, we had a ton of snow, but I still had to drive in an hour to basketball practice. And I had a really sweet ride. Uh, My very first car was a 1976 AMC Pacer. Some of you have no idea what that is, but here it is. Yeah, that was a sweet ride. That one is not my car. That's in way better condition than mine was. Mine was all blue, had the lovely streaks still in the paint from when I rattle canned it. Myself, all blue. It was glorious. And... No, contrary to what many of you are thinking right now, that did not help me get the ladies. (laughs) But you can see, this is a fine piece of craftsmanship here. It's almost as wide as it is long, and it was amazing in the snow. It was like a little tank. So that morning, when I'm going to pick up my friend at about 6 o'clock in the morning, I was maybe driving a little faster than I should, and I came around this switchback turn... And that thing just kept on flying right through and slammed into a snowbank. It's not my first time getting stuck in the snow. I know what to do. I started rocking my vehicle back and forth, trying to get out of it. And after about three, four, five minutes, I was like, okay, there's no way I'm getting out of here. So I jump out of the passenger side, because the driver's side was buried in snow, and I run down to my friend's house. It's only like 100, 200 yards away. And grab him like, dude, you got to come back and help me try to push this thing out. We get back to the car. He gets back there. He's pushing, and I'm trying to rock it back and forth, and we do this for like 10 minutes with no avail. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm starting to really get worried because I'm only a sophomore going to practice. I didn't want to be late. And then I look up behind us coming down from town is this guy walking down towards us, and he just got a shovel on his shoulder just kind of walking down towards us. I'm like, oh, this is sweet. He's like, hey, boys, you guys need some help? I'm like, yes, we do. I'm like, this is a tiny guy, but any help will do. I'm like, you guys push, I'll jump back in the car. So I get in there, throw it into first, start letting out the clutch. And all of a sudden, the car is just like, poof, pops right out of the snow. I'm like, dude, that was sweet. Move it out, jump out. I'm like, thank you, sir, for your help. I'm like, buddy, let's get going. We're going to be late for practice. So we get in the car. Get all settled. I'm like, that was awesome. We needed that guy. And my friend looks at me. He goes, dude, I didn't even push. 
I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, I got down getting ready to push the car, and then all of a sudden it was like, just popped out. And we just kind of stared at each other. Like, what just happened? He goes, do you think it was an angel? I'm like, dude, come on. I'm like, it's just some dude that we've never seen before in our lives that just happened to show up when we needed him. He's walking up the street, see, and we look back. I mean, you can see there's a lot of field of view on this car. (laughs) And we look back to the direction he went, and he was gone. Nowhere to be seen. And then we just stared at each other and quietly drove away. (laughs) Had we seen an angel? I have no idea. But angels, angels are something that many people are fascinated by and sometimes obsessed with. And they're everywhere, aren't they? I mean, we see them in our movies, we see them in TV shows and in books and songs and on top of our Christmas trees. But before angels were uh, misrepresented like they are most of the time, and uh, dramatized in all these other mediums, angels showed up in the text. And when they showed up in the text, they had several different roles. Like, if you read in 2 Kings chapter 6, you see uh, this really cool story about Elisha, one of the prophets. And he's getting attacked. This king is mad at him, and so he sends an army to the city that Elisha lives in. And we see how this army of angels shows up around this town to protect Elisha and the city. We also see, like later on in Acts chapter 5, the apostles get arrested one more time for preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're put in jail. And that very night, an angel shows up and busts them out. Just a few of the things that we see angels do. But one of the primary roles that we see angels have in the text is that of a messenger. Messengers of God. And it is this role of as messengers that we see show up in the Christmas story. Which is why we have chosen angels to be a part of the cast of Christmas that we want to talk about. So we see an angel show up, as we all know, we just heard about it in the video, but there's angels that show up even before that. There's three instances in the text, in Luke chapter 1 and Luke and Matthew chapter 1. It's kind of a prequel, the building up of the Christmas story. We see angels show up. And the first time is in Luke chapter 1, we see Zechariah, he's a priest, and he's in the temple, he's doing his duty that day, he's, doing, he's uh, getting the sacrifice ready, and an angel shows up with a message for him. It says, Zechariah, you and your wife, Elizabeth, are going to have a baby. And he's like, no, we're not. We're old. That's not going to happen. He said, yeah, you are. And they did. They had a baby. A boy by the name of John. You know him as John the Baptist. The cousin of Jesus. 
He doesn't really show up in the Christmas story as we know it, but he is an integral part of Jesus' story later on. And then a little later on in in, uh, Luke chapter 1, another angel shows up with another message of an improbable child to be born. And he shows up to this young, engaged woman named Mary. And he tells her, Mary, you are favored among all women. God has chosen you to have a baby. And just like Zechariah, she says, there's no way. I've never been with a man. He's like, I know. It is going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, that you will, be con- you will conceive this child, and this child will be the very Son of God. The other half of that story is in Matthew 1, where we see an angel show up to Joseph, the guy that Mary is pledged to in marriage. And he has found out about her pregnancy, and he's planning on divorcing her, but an angel shows up in the middle of the night in his dream to let him know that that is not the best choice. He says, what is going on, what you're involved in, what you're seeing is from God. Do not be afraid. Do not be ashamed to take Mary as your wife because the child that she will give birth to will save people from their sins. So give him the name Jesus. I'm sure that Well, and we kind of see it a little bit for both of these guys, for Mary and Joseph and Zechariah, like this was a hard message to receive initially. It was difficult, crazy. But they knew what lay before them because of the message that was delivered to them by these angels. They knew where God's story was going. And so they were able to step into that and walk out that story. And the very next time that we see an angel show up is in the Christmas story. And we get to see a glimpse of what this baby's part in God's story is going to be. So come with me, if you have your Bibles, over to Luke 2 real quick. And I want to read what this message is that the angels come with this time. So in Luke chapter 2, Jesus has already been born. The baby that was spoke of by the angels before has been born. He has come. He's wrapped in cloths and he's lying in a manger in Bethlehem with Mary and Joseph by his side. And then verse 8 we read this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. You see, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, 
Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And just as quickly as the angels appeared, they disappeared and went away. And left the shepherds sitting there in the dark once more. But this message that they had just received, a message about a baby, a baby who will be the one whom the nation of Israel has been watching for, hoping for, praying for, for centuries. The one that will come as the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Redeemer, and rescue them from underneath the oppression of Rome and make Israel a free nation once again. Joy and peace would certainly be experienced by all of Israel once this came to pass. And I know that the, the shepherds are experiencing that as well because we see them. They go and they meet the baby and they come back and they tell people and they're ex- full of joy and they're experiencing a peace. But I wonder for how long? How long do you think it took for them to realize they were not going to probably see this come to fruition. This peace, this freedom from their oppression that had been promised to them, they may never see it in their lifetime. How long was it before that joy and peace they felt that night dissipated? And I can't help but wonder if maybe sometimes we feel the same way. Because we, we have the luxury of time and history on our hands. And we can look back and we can see this text and we know that it was not just written, or this proclamation was not just for the shepherds. And it was not just for the nation of Israel. This pro- proclamation of joy and peace Because what did they say? They said, it is cause for great joy for all people. It is peace for all the earth. But I wonder if some of us are maybe having the same thoughts that the shepherds may have. How long, God, before we actually see this? How long, God, before we actually experience this great joy and this peace that the angels spoke of? Because as we look around our world and we we look around our country and we look around our community, we see how not many people are experiencing that great joy or that peace. In a time of year when we are all supposed to be having an extra dose of joy in our lives and experiencing a peace like none other because we are celebrating the coming of the Messiah, our Lord and Savior Jesus. But it just feels difficult to muster this year. Is it just me?
As difficult as it is, some days, I know it's not impossible. I know it's not impossible because I know for those of us who are in here who are feeling that weight, there are just as many of us probably that are experiencing great joy in their lives right now. They feel the joy of the Lord. They experience his peace. And I know each one of them would tell us it can be difficult, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible. And it becomes more possible, I think, when we have a better understanding of what biblical joy and biblical peace truly are. Because if we understand what these angels are declaring when they say joy, when they say peace, we have a proper understanding of what that looks like in the text. I think we'll stop chasing the incomplete definitions that we have of those things in our lives. And I call them incomplete because more often than not, joy and peace are totally dependent on our outside circumstances. Right? You know, we can find joy in a beautiful sunset. We can, we can find joy when a child is born. We can experience joy and happiness when we're with friends and family, but those, those things don't always stay. Those things come and go. And there are other circumstances that we're surrounded by because we live in a broken world where sin and death are. And sometimes those are the only things that we see. But when we look into God's text and we look specifically at his people and see how they were able to experience joy no matter what was going on with them, we have to ask why. What is going on that they were able to be able to to sing as they were come out of Egypt and sing praises and have joy, but they weren't free. They still had the Egyptians hot on their trail. How were they able to have joy? One of my favorite pastors that I like to, to listen to said it like this. He said, they, God's people, in those moments, as you look through the text, what they're doing is they are choosing to have an attitude of joy. They are not allowing the outside circumstances around them to to be the catalyst for why they have joy. Instead, they are choosing to have an attitude of joy, and that joy is based in something that's unchanging. God. They choose to have joy when they look at God's promises and his love. And when I think of God's love and God's promises, one of the best ways that I can think of to describe it is by understanding peace. Biblical peace is something that we don't necessarily take a lot of time to look into and and try to understand. Because when we think of peace, I think many times we just think of an absence of conflict or an inner calm 
Like, I don't have any conflict with you or with myself or there's no wars. Like, that's, that's peace. But that's only a small piece of it. And there's so much more. And the, the Greek and the Hebrew words that are used in the text for them mean so much more than just an absence of conflict. In the Greek, it's the word irene, and it's the word that you find in Luke 2 when the angels declare that there is peace on earth. And it is tied very closely and means similar things as the Hebrew word that is used throughout the text, which is shalom. A word that many of you have probably heard before. It is still in common use today. If you go to Israel, people do not say hello to you. They say shalom. It is their greeting. And when we look into the text deeper to try to understand what God is communicating when he says peace, when he says Irene and shalom, the best place for us to go is back into the beginning. When we look into Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see a creation as it was meant to be. A creation that was whole. A creation that had no conflict. A creation where there was perfect relationship between God and us and, and us with other people and us within ourselves and with creation itself. This is the picture of shalom. This is peace. It is a wholeness, a completeness. It is the things being as they were meant to be when God first created them. That is shalom. And that is what the angels are speaking over. Those shepherds at night. But we know that in the very next chapter, that shalom is shattered. Because Adam and Eve are deceived into thinking that they're missing out and they might be able to do it better than God. And so they choose to do it their way and they bring in chaos and sin and death and destroy the shalom that God had created in the beginning. But thankfully, God did not give up on his creation. He did not give up on wanting his creation to to experience shalom, wholeness, and perfect relationship with him, with one another, and with creation. So he puts in plan, uh, puts in a motion, puts into motion a plan. And it was a plan to bring back creation to its original design. A plan of restoration. A plan pointing us back to shalom. And the crazy thing is, when God institutes his plan, he invites the very people that messed it up in the first place to work with him to do it again. And he picks a man, Abram, to partner with him in trying to live out what shalom looks like on this earth, to reflect who he is. And this man's family grows into a great nation, and the partnership continues. And God calls them to live it out. Show this world what shalom looks like. Show them what the intention was 
and what it will be again, bringing peace to earth now. But the people did not do well. They continued to choose their way, thinking they were missing out. And sin and death continued to thrive. And so God throws in a wild card. And in the midst of their darkness, darkest times when they are being surrounded by the Assyrians and the Babylonians to come in and wipe them out, God gives them another promise to hold on to. A promise of one to come. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, God says this through his prophet. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and his peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is what the people had been watching for for centuries. This is what they were anticipating that night when the angels showed up and proclaimed, the Prince of Peace has been born, he's here. Now what? In her book, uh, The Epic of Eden, Sandra Richter is, has this section where she's talking about this Isaiah 9 passage, and specifically about this title, this name given to Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And I love what she says at the end of it. She says this. She says, the legacy of our sin is violence, fear, and loss. The legacy of this child will be peace. The legacy that this child is going to leave, the child that is being pronounced to be born, is one of peace. One of shalom. That can be experienced right here and right now. Even in the midst of the chaos and brokenness, it can still be experienced right now. Jesus would go on to model what it looks like to experience that and to bring it to other people by the way that he loved, by the way that he forgave, by the way that he sacrificed. His birth is indeed cause for great joy and peace on earth. Just as the angels declared so long ago. But we get a chance. We get the chance to carry on that legacy. And just like the Israelites chose to have an attitude of joy, we have to choose to carry on that legacy. We have to choose which legacy we are going to carry on. Because that peace that has been longed for, that wholeness that Jesus brought 
is available for all of us. And it's not just for us, it's for us to share and invite others into. And I know it's difficult to invite somebody into something that you may not be experiencing yourself. I know it's hard sometimes to choose which legacy you're going to be carrying on. It's hard to to not be focused on the things that are negative going on around you. But Paul, while he is in jail, is writing a letter to the church that he established in Philippi. And he tells them some very important things. Some things that I think that we can walk away with today that will help us in our journey of choosing which legacy we're going to live on. He says this in Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Choose joy. And base it in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. And the peace of God. The shalom. Which transcends all understanding. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. It is possible for us to experience that great joy and the peace that those angels declared. And it is possible for us to usher that in to the lives of those who are around us. But are we choosing to do so? Are we choosing to carry on the legacy of sin which is a legacy of selfishness and destruction and chaos? Are we choosing to live on the legacy that Jesus started when he was born, which is a legacy of peace, of love, of joy? A legacy of shalom. I want to take this time for us to move to our time of communion with one another. If you're new here, this is something that we get to do each and every week. Um, You don't have to be a a partner with real life. You don't have to even be in a regular tender. If you have made the choice to follow Jesus and to surrender yourself to him as your Lord and Savior, we would love for you to celebrate this with us. You are a part of the family. But before we take this together... I just want you guys to sit
and reflect and think. Ask yourself some questions. Why do you have or not have joy and peace right now in your life? What is going on? What are you focusing on? What legacy are you trying to live out? The legacy of sin or a legacy of peace? Just spend some time mulling that over. That passage from Philippians, he says to think about things that are noble, pure, lovely, admirable. I can think of nothing more admirable and lovely than what we're celebrating right now together as a family. Communion. To remember the sacrifice that Jesus did for you and I. The legacy that started when he was born continued in this moment. And on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which I give for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember together. Then after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us remember again. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for the legacy of, of peace that you began with the birth of your son. Lord, I thank you that it was a legacy that was never intended to stop, that is intended for us to carry on, for us to, to take on the role of, of angels and be messengers of you, to bring the message of joy and peace to one another and to our community and to our world, to live out shalom in our own lives and invite others to do the same. God, I pray that in this season when it can feel like we have to be joyful or have to have peace, Lord, I pray that we can all choose this day to remember the peace that you have established in the beginning and the peace that is coming in the end. And that we can find joy in that. Lord, help us to choose that and to see the things that you are doing around us. And hold firm in that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.